Chapter Fourteen of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Cobron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the Ivy Cottage, refreshed by an hour in his own comfortable home next morning, Mueller started out towards the suburb of Heidzig. He walked by choice, for he could think best that way. He turned over in his mind the sum of what he had already learned and found it was really more than he had thought in his hour of discouragement. When he came to an open space in the thinning rows of houses, he even indulged in a gentle whistle. Park and meadowland shone in the freshness of early morning. The sun-laden air was rich with the fragrance of myriad flowers. Mueller halted on the summit of Red Hill, as it was popularly called, and drank in the beauty of the glistening city in its ring of woodland and meadows the red hill deserved its name more from the color of its rocky soil than from its height but it was high enough to afford one of the most charming views of a neighborhood rich in landscape beauty a wild apple tree heavy with pink-tinted blossoms caught the detective's eye he glanced about cautiously then reached up and plucked a long twig thickly sown with exquisite flowers the old man laughed like a happy child as he buried his face in the soft petals it was his capacity for moments like these that kept Joseph Mueller, the kind, gentle old man he was after a lifetime of work, as human bloodhound. Finally he tore himself away from the beauty that filled his soul with cleansing sweetness and walked on down the further slope of the hill. Halfway down he halted again. A woman's voice, deep, rich-toned, full of appealing charm, rang out through the sun-bathed morning, seeming a part of its glory and fragrance. She was singing an Ave Maria to a melody of noble simplicity. There was an unusual personal quality in the voice. Her soul speaks through her song, thought Mueller, as he listened. The singing came from one of the modest little houses in Red Hill Lane, Mueller's own destination, for Hubert Lore, Elise Lehman's stepbrother, lived in that street. The old detective stood still, clasping the blossom-laden apple twigs to his heart. He did not move until the song came to an end in a burst of joyous melody. Then he walked on slowly, listening to the masterly piano accompaniment which ran on for some minutes after the singing had ceased. He stopped again in front of the house from which the music had come and realized that it was the house he sought. Evidently, Hubert Lore was already at work giving lessons early as it was. Mueller regretted the interruption his visit must cause but he felt such a natural desire to see the woman whose voice had so charmed him that he did not hesitate. His hand was on the bell at the little gate of the front yard when he heard the same voice speaking now from the house. Don't bother about it, Hubert. I know it well enough, and you're overworked as it is. Mueller pulled the bell. A woman appeared at a window and asked what he wanted. She was a very attractive young woman. The keen-eyed detective read in the noble lines of her face, the expression of her great eyes, that same quality that had so charmed him in her singing. "'Could I speak to Mr. Lore?' he asked, raising his hat. "'Surely I'll let you in at once.' The woman disappeared from the window and came out of the house door a moment later. She opened the catch of the gate to let him in. Mueller followed her graceful movements with keen pleasure, noting the while that her well-shaped hands showed marks of hard work. "'Will you come in? My husband is at home. May I ask the name?' "'Joseph Mueller, I would like to speak to Mr. Lore on a matter of official business.' "'Official?' Mrs. Lore looked a trifle surprised. They had already crossed the tiny front yard and were in the dim vestibule. "'I am a detective,' replied Mueller, 
and have come to ask Mr. Lord to aid me with some information he may be able to give. Something hard fell to the stone floor with a rattle. It was a big ring of keys Mrs. Lohr had in her hand when she opened the gate for him. Mueller bent and picked it up. She took it with a bow of thanks, but did not speak until she stopped in front of a door down the hall. "'Oh, how stupid I am!' she exclaimed. "'Here I am, leading you into the kitchen instead of into my husband's room.' She laughed a soft, pretty laugh, and turned to another door they had passed a moment before. Mueller glanced admiringly at the graceful lines of her tall, slender figure. She opened the first door and showed him into a small, dim room, lighted by one window only, in front of which stood a desk and an open grand piano. The second window in the room was so covered with the heavy growth of ivy that clung to the walls outside that only a dim green twilight filtered through. It made a charmingly cozy, intimate corner, furnished with several comfortable chairs and a little table. Hubert Lore rose from one of the chairs in the dim corner as his wife entered. He was just lighting a cigar. "'Hubert, this gentleman is a detective who wants to ask you for some information.' Mrs. Lore ushered Mueller in, then went out herself, closing the door behind her. The detective laid his hat and the apple blossoms on the piano and turned toward the man who stood waiting by the ivy-shaded window. "'I hope I am not interrupting your work, Mr. Lore. It would be a sorry return for the very real pleasure Mrs. Lore's singing has just given me.' "'Oh, you heard the Ave Maria?' said Hubert Lore, with a gesture of invitation toward one of the big armchairs. Heard it, and felt it deeply. Mueller sat down. Whose composition was it? I thought I knew most good church music, but that song was new to me. You really liked it? It touched me deeply. I'm very glad to hear that, but of course I suppose I shouldn't tell you, now, that I wrote it myself. You did? My heartiest congratulations. But won't you let me see your face? I want to look into the eyes of a man who can feel such music and give it shape and form. Mueller had risen and grasped the young composer's hand. He drew him to the piano and smiled up at the face, now full in the light from the other window. Don't think me foolish. It's odd, but with all the people I have met in my long life, I have never yet known, never yet stood face to face, like this, with a really great creative artist. How wonderful it must be to have such thoughts visit you and form themselves into beauty in your brain and hand. Ah, yes. The detective released the other's hand with a light sigh. I hardly know whether I am what you speak of. At least the world doesn't seem to think so yet, said Hubert Lore lightly. My art means poverty as yet, as you see. The more sincere your art, the harder the road it must travel, said Mueller, in a tone of true sympathy, as his eye swept the modest room. But I have no right to take your time like this. I must come to the reason for my visit. Yes, I am greatly interested, said Laura quickly. Did I understand my wife aright? You are a detective and come to me for information? Information about what? Hubert Laura looked at his guest sharply. The keen, straight glance of his intelligent eyes suited the firm lines of an attractive face which showed determination and the ability to feel deeply and passionately. He pushed the cigar box toward Mueller and took out a match. You smoke? It's nicer to talk that way. Well, what can I do for you? Mueller took a cigar and felt around in his pocket for his cutter. I've just come from Salzburg, he remarked, casually. Oh, from Salzburg, was all Laura said, but he sat up more stiffly. I come from the house where your sister died, continued Mueller. Yes, well, it had been thought a case of suicide. There was a slight pause, then Laura asked, Had been? Then it is not certain? He leaned forward, evidently interested. It was a murder, 
or rather, I am inclined to think an unpremeditated killing, in a moment of passion. Again there was a pause, longer this time, but Lor's silence was not that of apathy. He was plainly shaken by the detective's words. Finally he spoke. Who? Whose idea is that? he asked. Not yours, of course, for you were called in when, when the explanation of suicide was not believed? Exactly. I was called in when the explanation of suicide seemed too improbable. Who engaged you? Baron Walroth, or rather his cousin, Professor Thorne. Do you happen to know him? Not personally. But how did he— Doubt the suicide, you mean? Professor Thorne knew your sister and could not believe that a handsome young woman, gay, pleasure-loving as she was, should have deliberately sought death. There was another, longer pause, until Lor, who had been leaning back in his chair, straightened himself up and spoke, his voice harsh with feeling. Elise was not merely pleasure-loving, she was greedy for enjoyment, greedy for all life had to offer, selfish, and rotten to the very heart of her. A woman like that may well find herself in situations that show no other way of escape, especially a woman as haughty and arrogant as she was. You wonder that I speak so of my sister? I feel more than I say. My father was a simple man, a gardener, but upright and honest. My mother, after his death, married a handsome, worthless vagabond whose best deed was that he soon deserted her. Elise is his daughter. From him she inherited her beauty and her worthlessness. I know her character, and I did not doubt that she had killed herself. Lor's breast rose and fell heavily. He dropped back into his chair again. I do not know just how Baron Walroth looks at it said Mueller finally. He has not dealt with me personally. Has he said anything to you? No, he has not given me the slightest intimation that he thought it anything but suicide. I have not seen him since Elise's death, but I had a letter from him on June 5th in which he told me that he had just returned from Salzburg from her grave and asked me not to visit him. Why? He knew that I disapproved of the life Elise had been leading, and that, because of this, I did not approve of the engagement. It would have been embarrassing for him to be with me, and would only have renewed his grief. But at other times you saw him often? Yes, years ago. We have met very little of late. I have not been to the house for many years, except when the Baroness has her musical evenings. What sort of a woman is Baroness Walroth? Laura's eyes brightened. He smiled happily. A wonderful woman, an aristocrat in the very best sense. You like her, evidently. I admire her and revere her, as I revere the whole family. It was the late Baron Walroth who gave me my chance in life. My father was their head gardener, and the Baron and his wife took an interest in me, sent me to school and college, and to the conservatory to study music. Ah, they've given me life itself, for music is my life. I really believe I could not live without it, without devoting my whole life to it. You love your art so deeply. It is my very life, replied Laura simply. Mueller nodded in sympathy then indeed I can understand your devotion to this family. Oh, if that were all, exclaimed Lor. Then he paused and continued in a calmer tone. But we are forgetting our chief subject. You can imagine that it interests me most, now. Then Professor Thorne does not believe that my sister killed herself? No, he thinks it a case of murder from revenge or jealous passion. It was he who called me in. How did he come to know Elise? He has not been here much of late years. He made her acquaintance in some Berlin dance hall. Ah, then she was in Berlin, too? She never told us. But then I knew mighty little of her life, thank God. Lore laughed, a short, harsh laugh. And you? Do you believe that Elise did not kill herself? You say you come from Salzburg. Have you found any clue? 
Anything that would prove Professor Thorne's supposition a true one? I have found every evidence to prove that your sister was killed by another's hand. Will you? Can you tell me something of what you have discovered? asked Lore, after a pause. The murderer? It was a man. You're quite sure it was a man? cut in Lore hastily. I was afraid it would upset you, said Mueller gently. Of course it was a man. He was seen entering the house with Miss Lehman and coming out alone. He was seen carrying a valise when he came out, whereas he was empty-handed when he went in with the girl. He stopped on a footbridge over the brook after he came from the house and threw one of the murdered woman's gloves into the water. And I know now that in that valise he carried Elise Lehman's hat, her long black cloth cape, and one of her blue silk gowns. He put on these things and came back after the theater hour in company with the dead girl's maid. It was a very clever trick. The housekeeper was made to believe that Elise Lehman was still alive at eleven that evening, and as the killer's accomplice, the maid had cleverly arranged an alibi, so that she could not be suspected of having committed the crime. It was naturally taken for a case of suicide. It was all planned and carried out so well that had it not been for Professor Thorne's intuition, his feeling for the improbability of such a death at her own hand, the entire matter might have rested there. There would have been no investigation, and the incontestable proofs I have discovered would never have been known. My long experience has taught me that very many crimes would remain unsolved mysteries or would never have been recognized as crimes but for this wonderful faculty of intuition, as it lives in a keenly sensitized mind. But there is no suspicion that that Elise's maid might be the criminal? asked Lord tensely. Mueller shook his head. No, none at all, although she is undoubtedly connected with the crime in some way. Where is she? Have they found her? No, she has completely disappeared. We cannot find any trace of her nor any information as to who she was. We do not even know her real name. She called herself Tony Schreiner in Salzburg, but left behind her two handkerchiefs with the monogram A.K., and everything she had said about herself, after the murder, proved to be false. She must have been a rather remarkable woman, though, and a very attractive one for the few people who had anything to do with her there are quite enthusiastic about her. Indeed, queer, isn't it? remarked Lore with an odd smile. Then she is only an accomplice? Undoubtedly, but her behavior was most mysterious, and I will confess to you that I haven't the faintest idea where to look for her. You don't think she's hiding somewhere in Salzburg? The police have made a thorough hunt for her, and published her description far and wide. I had hoped to find the killer through her, for there is undoubtedly some connection between them. But it looks now as if I could find her only when I have found him. We know something of what he looks like, and this is where I want your help. Do you know of any intimate friend of your sister, who could be roughly described as a man of average or normal figure, probably brown-haired, and between twenty-five and forty years of age? It's not much to go on, I realize, but we have one valuable peculiarity to help us. He is left-handed." and he is probably either a mountain climber or a cyclist, for when he was seen he wore sport clothes, knickerbockers and golf stockings. His suit was dark gray. Can you get anything from this that might help you remember some particular person? Lore had listened carefully and sat silent in thought. No, he said finally. I can't seem to remember any friend of Elise, of those whom I know, who would fit the description. The use of the left hand is the important point, of course, and I can't remember any left-handed man. I'm afraid I can't give you any help in this matter. Somehow I feel you can, replied the detective. Do you know a Richard Faulkner? Why, yes, answered Lore with a slight hesitancy. I know very few of Elise's friends, 
but I do know Wagner. I knew him before she did. He was my chum in high school, and—I am deeply sorry for this—it was through me that he met Elise. She was acting in the Carl Theatre then. It was about three years ago. And they were lovers? Yes, but for scarcely six months. Since then—since then, and in fact this very winter, Mr. Richard Wagner fought a duel with Baron Walroth. Your sister was the cause. Then you know that already? Still, even then— He may not have seen anything of her lately. Yes, that is true. Then why are you interested in Wagner? I am interested in any man who was, or still is, Elise Lehman's lover. Wagner was her lover once. Are you sure he is not still her lover? I couldn't say one way or the other, but Wagner is still my friend, and he wrote me recently that he was avoiding women, that sort of woman, for the time being. Did he write you from Venice? How did you know he was in Venice? I thought I was the one person who knew his hiding place. You see, he does not want the truth about his health to get out, the reason for his trouble. He's afraid of how it might affect his father, who was very ill. But, for your purpose, you needn't bother about Richard Wagner. He's had nothing to do with that affair. Are you quite sure about that? asked Mueller with a smile. By the way, the doorbell is ringing. Lore rose and went to the window. A fresh young voice outside called, Hello there, nobody home? Oh, Lore, aren't you going to let me in? Where's the missus? Gone marketing, I fancy, answered Lore as he went out, after a murmured excuse to Mueller. It's a friend who's come to take me to a quartet rehearsal. There was a burst of voices in the hall, and Mueller heard the newcomer saying eagerly, Hubert, what did I tell you? The French courts acquitted that woman who killed her husband. They have some sense about that sort of thing in France. It seems to me that to kill someone we care for when he hasn't the courage to end his own worthless life is a deed to be praised, not blamed. By this time the two young men were back in the room, and the stranger stopped, startled, when he saw Mueller. Don't be so reckless with your statements, Raymond said lore after introducing the two this gentleman is a detective and will hardly be particularly enthusiastic about your ideas on the subject of murder mueller smiled at the newcomer but his eyes were grave as he spoke i too have often felt the deepest sympathy for those whom the law and the world call criminal many a deed which the law must punish has seemed noble and right to me so you see our ideas are not so very far apart but i must go now I have taken far too much of your time, Mr. Lore. May I ask you to give these apple blossoms to your wife? With the assurance of my warmest esteem, I regret that I cannot do it myself. Lore took the flowers with an odd smile and placed them in a vase on the table. Then he nodded to his wife's elderly admirer. She will appreciate them. Lore locked the door of the house behind him, and the three men walked off up the lane. But the little house was not untenanted. A hand parted the ivy at the window very cautiously, and young Mrs. Lore's pretty but now ghastly pale face appeared in the opening. Her soft eyes, full of a wordless horror, stared after the three figures in the lane. Then she let the leaves fall back again, swayed, and put out her hand toward the nearest chair. But before she could reach it, the room went dark before her eyes, and she crumpled up on the floor, unconscious. End of chapter 14